Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz saxophonist and composer Kevin Sun on the 2023 CD, The Depths of Memory. Losing nearly two years of gigs was undoubtedly a challenge for every working musician, yet Kevin chose to take the opportunity provided by the lockdown to recontextualize his always ambitious music. He composed a set of music more appropriately focused to listening than did the distractions of the jazz club. Released via his own and Dectomorph Music under exclusive license to law reserve as an ambitious and exploratory set of music that takes vivid inspiration from the shift in perspective imposed by these recent times. We cover this, the project, live shows, and so much more. Enjoy this interview. Great to see you. Likewise. Yeah. So new material out. Speaking of COVID, you survived a pandemic. It really did its thing on the musicians community more than anything else. I mean, it, it, it was harsh. So mm-hmm. how did you get through it and how good does having an album out now feel? Um, yeah, you know, I, looking back on it, it's crazy that it's been more than three years, but I feel <laughs> like, you know, it's just something that kind of lingers. Um, just something that I try to, I guess, you know, now that I'm back and playing gigs all the time, you know, I, I try to remember, <laughs> Uh, a time when I couldn't, you know, just go out and play all the time and um, yeah. try to appreciate it more, you know, despite, you know, it, it is tough working as a musician running around from place to place, but also it's a beautiful thing and something to really not take lightly or take for granted. And I think the pandemic, like especially the lockdown, the first spring, those few months was really kind of like the toughest time. And so, yeah, for me, like writing music was a huge outlet, um, just creatively, just thinking toward the future at that time and then finally getting able to record it, you know, in 2021, 2022, and now the album's coming out. Um, yeah, it just seems like it's been a long time coming and it's a kind of a relief to put it out into the world. So do the crowds feel different? I mean, I know that, you know, the hope was that there would be this permanent feeling. Is it, has it lasted? Um, I mean, it's not as pronounced as, you know, I remember like when we first really start playing gigs seriously, um, again, like we played outdoors a bit, in mid late 2022 and then more indoor stuff um, after the vaccine came out in 2021 uh, that was amazing i mean people were just so happy i think it's maybe it's pretty much settled so sort of how it was before the pandemic now you know i mean there's just a lot of chatter and people are trying to have a good time you know and the music's happening <laughs> whether yeah. or not you know they came there for that um in the places where i play but um yeah i think generally it seems like you know, a lot of venues did close, unfortunately, in New York and elsewhere, but also many new venues opened up. So I think it's just part of the natural cycle of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, from my perspective, you know, I think crowds are into live music as much as they ever were. Yeah. So the depths of memory, this seems like a very expansive project. A lot was put into it. Your signature sound is obviously in there and evolving. Talk to me about how you put this project together. Sure. So I mentioned it was a long time coming. Um, some of the music on this album, actually, I started before the pandemic, like 2019. And I think the first performances of some of the music, I mean, I'm thinking in particular, uh, the whole second half of the album, uh, which is a suite called Depths and Slow Motion, and also the second half of the first disc, another uh, three-part suite called Eponymous Cycle. We basically did a premiere of like a very early version of each of those pieces in February 2020. And then the lockdown happened and I put the music away and I started working on some new stuff. Um, the sketches that, which became from all this stillness um, on the first disc. And then when I started gigging regularly in 2021, I looked back at that music I'd written and I thought, 
um, you know, I wanted to do something with it. I didn't want to just let it sit there. And so I worked it, reworked it, them quite a lot and uh, played them live, you know, a number of times. And then we just decided to record and, you know, kind of put it behind us. Um, so that's kind of how that music came together. So what are you hoping the listener gets from this project? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think the music, uh, the music is not sort of conventional jazz in the sense of, you know, stuff that I would expect to see in a club. It's kind of a little more, it's, it's generally quieter. It's generally slower moving, but that's all sort of intentional. I think there's a lot of detail and room for nuance and sort of subtlety um, for the different musicians who are improvising and interpreting the music. And I hope, you know, the listener, when they, um, you know, start listening to the album, they can kind of find themselves maybe exploring, you know, those different kind of more atmospheric kind of feelings, you know, it's sort of being taken outside of the everyday experience and maybe stuff that they're more used to listening to in a live setting and maybe, um, you know, getting something that may was, is maybe better suited for like a sit down and put on a record type experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. So, you know, the one thing about the pandemic is that there was a lot of people that left big cities, especially New York. It was too expensive. There was an uncertainty and even people that were going into school, there was just this unknowing and going into a realm that, that may not pay as much things along those lines, but it almost seems as though it's come back stronger than ever. What's your kind of bead on the jazz community now coming back and getting back into live shows and releasing albums? Just sort of uh, how, like, how it feels generally right now. Yeah. Just kind of what's your, what's your sense? Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, um, I think one thing that was really noticeable is that I think, and, you know, I've heard many people say this about other things, you know, outside of music, but related to the effects of the pandemic, which is that sort of accelerated life, I think, for a lot of people, like one year, I don't know, caused five years of <laughs> like normal life events to happen really quickly. And so, like you said, you know, a lot of musicians decided to move out of New York. Um, and so I feel like, you know, in a way, um, it was advantageous for me because I feel like I got a lot of opportunities that I would have, it would have probably would have taken more years, you know, to get up there, but because there are more, uh, you know, essentially like vacancies, you know, people needed a saxophone player, you know, maybe their favorite saxophone player is not available anymore. So they're going down the list. So all of a sudden, you know, that opens up opportunities for younger musicians like myself. And I also feel like um, just, you know, now that I'm playing with more and more different people, like the, the young, younger generation, like, when I moved to New York seven years ago, I feel like I was absolutely like probably the youngest generation. And now it's definitely not the case. And I'm just seeing there's a huge, you know, crop of new musicians who are incredible and have a different perspective, you know, a different, totally different outlook from even what I have. Um, you know, I think that's sort of really exciting. Um, just seeing that, you know, the generations keep coming in New York and, uh, you know, they're coming faster and stronger and so on. So that's that's interesting you bring that up about being a veteran now on the scene. What is it that you try to teach younger players that you get you get around? What do you ultimately want to impart? What wisdom? Because that's the big thing. The elder statesman of jazz always has an eye on the torch getting passed on. What is that for you? Well, well, I guess I'll just preface it by saying, you know, I still do feel like I'm really young on the jazz scene. I mean, I'm 31. So, you know, I've heard 
<laughs> older musicians say, you know, describe 30 year old musicians as being sort of like, you know, babies in the jet scene, but it's all relative, obviously, like, yeah, depends on your experience and where you are in your, you know, your kind of like career trajectory and such. Um, I think, you know, as a musician, I just try to stay humble. I try to focus on the fundamentals, good sound, good time. You know, if the music is supposed to swing, I try to help make the band swing, you know, not just myself. Um, and, you know, if it's a, a maybe a more like contemporary or experimental setting, you know, I try to, I basically just try to make the band sound good. Um, you know, like I, I do want to sound good, but at the end of the day, it's more important that the music's being served. And so I'm just trying to serve that as best as I can. And, um, and I guess also, you know, not let personal life things get in the way of the music, like just, you know, put that all aside and just try to, you know, just try to be humble and selfless as I can. And, you know, make, make something, you know, that maybe, you know, is worth listening to, um, you know, collaboratively. Yeah. So let me ask you this, you know, by the time we talk about this album, you're already moving on, you know, you've been working on this for a while, you're promoting it now, but you're in this kind of moment where, you know, the line keeps getting drawn. So I'm curious as we move forward right now towards the end of this year, what do you have for live shows promoting anything in the hopper? What's going on with you? Yeah, that's a great point. I really do feel like this music, you know, it's new to the world, but I've known about this music for <laughs> years. So uh, yeah, I've been thinking forward for a long time. Um, I mean, I mean, definitely for next year, I already have two quartet albums that are fully recorded. They're ready to go. So that's like a documentation of live music I've been playing over the past two years. Um, I do, I've had this residency at a bar called Lowlands Bar, which is in this, uh, it's in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Um, essentially, it's like two blocks from where I live. Um, so I've been playing there every Tuesday. You know, I have a a couple regular bands that I play with. And also I try to, you know, play with different groups. But, you know, I documented a lot of that music that I worked out over the past two years on those recordings. Um, and currently I have a trio that I'm playing with a lot um, with Walter Stinson on bass and Kayvon Gordon on drums. So we've been playing and working on a lot of new music. And I expect, you know, we're going to continue playing at Lowlands and other venues um, through the rest of the year, next year. Um, what else? I have, um, there's another band I play in called Mute, which is um, like a collaborative co-led band with um, this pianist Christian Lee, bassist Lim Yang, and uh, this drummer who used to live in New York, but moved back to Korea named Dion Suk. So we recorded another album, I want to say Two, two years ago already, but it's finally coming out next year. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's mostly, I expect I'm mostly going to be playing around Brooklyn locally, but I might try to, you know, take something on the road, maybe the trio next year. You know, the one thing about a residency, and I talk to musicians a lot about this, you know, there there's so much uncertainty that goes into being a player. But to have a residency, does that take kind of some pressure off of you? And you have a, a an, an actual pedestal every week to test out new material how does that work on your brain to have a residency yeah it's uh, definitely a huge privilege and a blessing it's something i've always wanted i think like a regular place to play like since i was a teenager but you know it's so rare these days um economically it's just so hard for a venue to justify having the same person be there if they're not super famous yeah. if they're super famous they're probably not going to be willing to play in you know a random you know small place without where they're not making a lot of money but from my perspective, yeah, it takes the pressure off of having to hustle for gigs, emailing people, calling people, you know, and just going to venues and just asking, you know, the people for a date. Um, it takes the, I think the biggest thing it does is it takes the pressure off of 
feeling you like you have to really present something in every gig, if that makes sense. Like if yeah. you're playing once a month with your band, you know, and it's at a different venue every month, you feel like you really have to accomplish something or do something big, um, which, you know, it's good in one sense of, in terms of motivation um, and focus. But in the other sense, I think it forces or it makes you tend to maybe approach the music in a certain way that is maybe not productive. And I think that being able to just play and have the stakes be a bit lower because you are playing every week means that you can you end up stumbling into things that you wouldn't have done otherwise, or you try things out that if you only had one gig a month, you're not going to take that risk necessarily. You know, it doesn't feel right. And so I think the music feels a lot more natural. And we've, um, you know, found more ways through it that than maybe we would have if I didn't have this residency. So, Kevin, the depths of memories, the new album, where's the best place for people to pick it up, learn more about you, previous projects, live shows, where do they go? Um, well, I can always direct people toward Bandcamp. So I'm on Bandcamp. If you just search Kevin's son, Bandcamp, it's all there. Um, if you like to stream it, it's pretty much everywhere. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, um, Amazon Music, essentially <laughs> anywhere you can stream. It's on YouTube. Um, but, you know, if you buy it on Bandcamp, um, all the money goes straight to me. So that's, you know, I would appreciate that. And um, yeah, I have a website, kevinson.com. That's where all my shows and dates are. I'm on Instagram at sonthekevin, and I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. You can just search and it'll be the version of me that is playing saxophone. I love it. Kevin, this has been great, man. Thank you for opening up. Thanks for your time. Good luck with the album and everything else, man. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Brooklyn, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Kevin for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.